This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I have a green rock suit. Thank you for picking greenberry. It's the color of new growth and it's reminding me. So my first thought about getting a green rock suit was good. I can hide better in the forest. For those of you who don't know me, I am ordinary mind Zendo's hermit. I live in Maine and I really do spend a great deal of my time hanging out in the woods with the trees and the rocks. I'm really comfortable there. But I'm a hermit who loves people. I just love them best one or two at a time. So sitting up here in front of all of you, you got to know I'm way out of my comfort zone. And what that means for me is I'm on the verge of tears. I don't know why. And my insides are quivering. They're watery. My hands and feet are cold. And my mouth's dry. And I'm in love with all of you. Barry brought up the idea of that possibly I might have something to say that might be helpful to people that I might be a teacher I took it and I held it for a really long time and my primary practice is walking I walk a lot long distances so I walked with it for months and when I thought about it, I thought about the teacher sitting in the zendo, wise and compassionate and knowing the right thing to say at the right moment and you know all those fantasies we have about what we really want in our lives. And I said, no, that's, that's not me. I'm not a teacher. I'm a hit and run helper, you know? <laughs> I don't want to be seen particularly you know I'm going to walk down the street and you drop your eggs I'm going to help you pick them up and if you don't have that dime at the checkout counter let me give that to you are you having a rough day you know loading bags let me smile at you and crack a joke and if you're really down let me be your ear but then I'm on my way and this has been great for me and it's been working until I took a, a walk, took a pilgrimage with some people, took them out to Spain, to the El Camino de Compostela. And this was a very spiritual walk for these folks, for us. And a friend I had made when I had walked the Appalachian Trail, 
His trail name was Serene. He had decided he wanted to come on this trip. And the very first night, we were on the road, we stayed at a hostel. And at that hostel, because there were so few of us at that time, we all sat in one great big huge table and had a family style meal. And I don't know how it got started, but people started standing up, talking about why they were there, and what they wanted, and what they were hoping for. And Serene stood up and he said, I want to have a more spiritual life. And he talked a little more about it, but he came back to that at the end. I want to have a more spiritual life. Halfway on that journey, exactly halfway, he died on the trail. And in dying, besides the hole he left in the world, he gave me a great gift. We have only now. And now is so very important. And if we don't use it, it's going to be lost. You can't gain the minute you lost yesterday or the hour you let pass today. And I came away with a sense of urgency that I had not had in years. And of course, when you don't know what you're doing, what do you do, right? You write your teacher. And I said, Barry, you know, I've got all this sense of urgency that I need to go to work. I need to get this done. I need to, I need to help in a more meaningful way. And of course, he said to me, "Oh, well, then you're going to teach." Okay. I was in a place where I could listen, and so I held it, and I said yes, and then I kind of stuffed it away. You know, I didn't know what that was going to mean, and I just kept walking. Uh, I always saw myself as a signpost. You know, I was going to teach by embodying the Dharma, by living dharmically, by being as open as I knew how to be, and as receptive as I knew how to be and all of those good things we tried to do but when it came down to talking about it or teaching it or, or giving instructions in it I was going to be the person to say oh well there's that teacher over there and there's this book over here and you might want to listen to those tapes over here I never saw myself as telling you something from me from my experience. For whatever reason, that terrifies me. I can give you a lecture on microbiology and entertain you while I do it. 
And if you really want to know about the Dharma, I'll take you on a walk. You find out. But to try to say something about it, I don't know. I don't have trouble telling my story. I'm a 30-year veteran of 12-step programs. Not a problem. So what is it? I don't know. Maybe we can find out together. All I know is that I want to talk to you a little bit about teachers and about teaching and about knowing and understanding. I have a great love of people, but I also have a great distrust. I have reverence for books. They've been my best friends all my life, but they also scare me. And so do words. And I think maybe that's why I have kept quiet, because I know the two sides of that. I know it because I've lived it. There's a koan that talks about a man hanging by his teeth from a branch. And he has to say something about the Dharma. He has to save this person. He has to tell him the Dharma. But if he opens his mouth, he falls to his death. What do you do? That's the koan, in short. Now, since we're not a sect that has secrecy about koans, I'll tell you the answer as I know it. Okay, or as, as I knew it. And that is, you open your mouth anyway. Because it's that important. It's that important. And in Rinzai, where I trained first, you stand up and you fall over, and you're dead. Even when the teacher hits you, you stay dead. And I knew that answer, and I knew it. And I played it out for a couple of Rinzai teachers, and I passed. It wasn't until I came walking up that path from the river beach today that I understood. You do it because it's that important. It's that important. There's all kinds of teachers out there. In fact, I have my Dharma talk training wheels here. Bet you thought these were known. Gary stole my original quote, so I had to go search out another one, and I like this one even better. It comes from the Dhammapada, and it's something Buddha said about teachers and teachings and traditions. This particular translation says, Do not believe in anything because you have heard it. Do not believe in anything simply because it is spoken and rumored by many. Do not believe in anything simply because it's found written in your religious books. Do not believe in anything merely on the authority of your teacher or elders. 
Do not believe in traditions because they have been handed down for many generations. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and it is conducive to the good and benefit of all, then accept it and live up to it. Pretty good. I've got a bone to pick with it, but I'll bring that up in a minute. Don't believe what you read. Don't believe what you hear. Don't believe what you're told. Hmm. What do we do then? How do we ever learn anything? In my experience, there are two kinds of teachers, human teachers. I mean, there's lots of teachers everywhere, all the time, right? But human teachers. The first kind of teacher is the person that has walked the walk. And they have found something that works, that helps, that's beneficial. And they want to share it. They want to help others define this. They want them also to have the experience. These are good teachers. Every once in a while they get caught up in seeing only their experiencing and forgetting their other ways of being in the world. And they have great lessons to teach us, not only in what they tell us and how they model, but also in helping us learn not how to idolize them or try to be them or become them. Then there are those teachers who also are good intention for the most part who want to find the right way and do the right thing and help others but they haven't quite worked through their own fear yet and they sometimes get rigid and it becomes their way the right way and there are wrong ways I mean we all want to know the right way it makes us safe right you know, we're going to get salvation that way. And if somebody comes and tells us at that point that, well, that's not the right way, you know, kind of rattles the cage. And those kinds of teachers can sometimes let their fear play out in a lot of different ways. The wonderful thing about it is they too teach us. They teach us how to listen to us. They teach us how to have compassion for us and for them. They teach us how to take that discord we feel and that chaos we feel and turn it and work with it till it's useful. And there's, then there's the teachings themselves. Right? You know, sometimes I get confused with the word Dharma. Right? There's Dharma, the teaching of Buddha. We talk about the Dharma. But there's also the Dharma 
which is thusness. And this is where the confusion between knowledge and understanding can come about. When we have teachers, we have two kinds of teachings from them. We have the teaching of them being thus them. Being. And some of the Examples I always think of when I think of this are people like Mahatma Gandhi who held brotherly love and called the British his brothers and respected them throughout all the years of conflict and persecution. I can't remember a thing that he said but I have that vision of him still that I carry. And then there's people like Rosa Parks. You all remember Rosa Parks? She was the little old black lady who one day, after a 12-hour day of work, sat down in the only seat in the front of the bus reserved for white people. And when she was told to move, she said, no. She was Rosa Parks. And that no started something called the Civil Rights Movement in the United States. So there's teaching by being. All of us, every single one of us, was called to be a teacher in this way. To be fully what we are and that's the great journey to find out what that is and express it and be it that's being dharmic a tree is dharmic just being a tree it doesn't know it's a tree it doesn't think about being a tree it's a tree it gives shade and support for nests and food for woodpeckers it also drops limbs on cars and fat on your new clothes or sheets hanging out in the line if you happen to have it under a pine tree and birds sit in it and shit all over everything you have to clean that up but it's dying and that's what we're called to be teachers of the Dharma and that may take the form of being a Christian Barnard doing the first heart surgery or it may take the form of being a teacher in grade school that helps some kid get over his math phobia or it might be being a nurse or a street sweeper but if we are fully that we teach the Dharma we are the Dharma and the Dharma is us and I think where I've gotten confused for many years is not understanding. And I don't know why. Tears are coming again. So you need to know. I'm an emotional person. I cry easy. I laugh easy. No, no, that's me. But talking about this is the thusness of some people that are called to be 
quote unquote formal teachers of the Dharma. I like the first form much better because the second form triggers my mind too much. I kind of look at language, you know, as a king cobra, you know, this beautiful, beautiful thing that can turn on you and kill you in a second. You know, what am I talking about? talk about knowledge and understanding first. Knowledge is something that we gain and we can accumulate. It is something that we can have more of or less of. And we read books, we gain knowledge. Many years ago, I read a book by Joko Beck. Surprise, surprise. And in that book, I'm running over, aren't I? <laughs> okay. In that book, there was a section on hope, giving it up. Maybe you all have read that portion. Made sense to me. Analyze, observation. Hmm, I'm hurting. But if I didn't want things to be different than they are, then I wouldn't hurt anymore, right? Makes perfect sense. So I, being the very diligent Zen student, worked diligently at that. And I got there. I got there. Snip, desire, snip, anger, snip, hurt, snip, 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 snip. And there wasn't any more of that. Or there wasn't any joy or laughter or even tears. And all of a sudden I started having these thoughts come up like there's no reason to live. I think only it was long Zen practice that also helped me because the next thought would always come, well, if there's no reason to live, then there's no reason not to live. <laughs> but the despair was there, although I didn't know it. And it came snaking up. The snake. Higher and higher. Words had gotten me into this, and then I got a book by somebody called Barry Magid about psychoanalysts and Zen. And I read that book. And something that needed to be comforted was comforted. And I didn't understand it and I didn't know it. But it kept coming back. To make a story, long story short, because we're running out of time, life came back. I had gotten caught in formlessness that had led to nihilism. And I was with a group and a teacher at that time who because of their experience and not understanding my experience was not able to help me. 
So the thing that I want to say to you, cut this very short, is that it's all good. It's all teachings. I wouldn't trade a moment of anything in my life for anything. Believe no one. Trust everything and everybody. When it gets tough, get curious. What is that? Don't know. As soon as you know, you shut the door. Back off. What is that? How come that hurts? And don't forget to do that with joy and laughter too. What is that? What is that? Because that's where it's at. That's where the magic is. Stay open. And most, most, most importantly, trust yourself. Look where you are. Huh? Need I say more?